Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Entangled. I'm your host, Jordan Euclid, and today I'm joined by my lifelong friend, Mikey Link. In this episode, Mikey and I discuss ideas including purpose, romantic love, self-improvement, and self-love. We later dive into topics around perception, animal consciousness, and of course, archaeology. Please enjoy. everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Entangled. I'm your host Jordan Euclid. Today with me I am very honored to have my dear lifelong friend Mikey Link. Mikey how are you today? Doing well sir. Glad to uh, be here. Good to talk to you. You too. It's uh, it's always good to talk to you. You know we've been friends since elementary school and it's yeah. really been a privilege to get to ride this crazy journey we call life together with you man. Absolutely, man. Um, you know, I think the older we get, the closer we come together. As weird as that sounds, it's, I don't know. Over the years, you really get to know who you kind of vibe with and who you don't. And I really come to appreciate uh, my relationships more than I did before. I'll say that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think we've talked about before. Some of those studies that have been done that show what is it that makes people happiest and looking across different cultures and uh-huh. time zones and, and a sense of community and relationships seems to be one of those core underlying themes. Absolutely. So, Mikey, why don't you tell uh, the listeners a little bit about yourself? What's <laughs> your life? Well, man, I guess if I had to sum it up, <clears throat> an ex-chef, that was probably like, you know, the biggest part of my life is I worked in the restaurant industry for the better part of a decade. At this point, I'm working in the packaging industry, really not knowing what I want to do. You know, I'm collecting a decent paycheck, but, uh, you know, I want more. So I'm kind of at a stage in my life where I'm starting to question things a little bit more and I'm seriously considering like, you know, what's the next step? Like what makes sense for you? What makes sense for people that I'm with? So I'm in a good place, but you know, I'm, I'm hungry for the next step. I'll say that. Mm -hmm. Do you feel you've made any progress on figuring out that next step? So, well, it depends on the day, to be honest. Some days it feels like one step forward, two steps back. Sure. Uh, (laughs) but you know other days it's like yeah you know i've had a small epiphany so but yeah i'm i think the you know the the biggest point is i'm actively pursuing my uh my passion and 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 my goals and maybe it doesn't like translate every day but yeah i'm definitely i i think about it every day i should say that so I think that in itself, you know, just the fact that it's in the conversation is important to me. And you mentioned passion. Why is passion important to you? You know, it's so easy to just go through the day to day, the humdrum of life. And it, I think it's really easy to get caught up in some bullshit that you don't really care about. So for me, it's like, I want to do something that I'm passionate about. 
like day to day. And that's what like I, I want to wake up and be excited about something. And how do you think about managing that desire for passion with the realities of the society we live in, the capitalist society that is dependent on money and balancing those two seemingly opposed forces at times? Yeah, I, I mean, for me personally, it's really difficult because, like I said, I mean, you know, it's it's easy to just kind of like wake up and you're like, all right, I'm going to go clock in so to speak. And you're like, yeah, this is what is kind of expected from me, like in society. And I'm going to like be, you know, a cog in the wheel and this and that, but on a like deeper level or sense, it's like, I'm doing that. I, I don't get the satisfaction that I'm looking for. So yeah, in that sense, I'm, I'm looking for more of a, uh, a purpose and a meaning in in life and i don't think your day-to-day has to be like just the bullshit grind you know i think you should be able to wake up every morning and like want to feel passionate about what you do and like get excited about it and uh yeah for me i'm I'm still trying to find that but but uh yeah that's kind of where i'm at yeah what are some of the ideas you've had as you've thought about your passions? Well, dude, you know me, man. I love food, like anything food related. Food definitely drives my existence, you know. To me, food is like it brings people together. It's kind of just like a primal, I don't know, sense of being that I really can get behind. And I think I'm like pretty good at it just because I've put a lot of a lot of time and effort into studying the like science behind it and the arts of cooking and this and that and yeah so for me it's like gathering people and like feeding them is like man that's what i i live for and i always want to like do it better the next time it's interesting it sounds like a big part of what you love about cooking is the community aspect like we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. and it gets back to those interpersonal relationships yeah, I mean, you know, every like family gathering and uh, you know, big function, to me, the heart and soul of it is at the meal. I I just want to like create something that like people can all kind of get around and I think it's just like a universal language, you know. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what you speak, what you believe in, but like man, you put a fucking good meal down for someone and it just like kind of instantly creates a bond. You can just kind of vibe behind that. It sounds like you also like the aspects of it where you're combining your creative passions with scientific kind of reasoning and you get the whole left brain, right brain coherence through that activity. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I started cooking really like having no idea what I was doing it was just a job at the time but the more I've gotten into it you know I'll kind of like hyper focus on any given like cuisine like for instance say it's like ramen I'm like okay I'm gonna figure out like the science behind noodles like what makes a noodle good right so you get into the chemistry of it and you're looking at like 
the hydration levels, it's all like percentages or like the uh, alkalinity levels, the salinity, you know, like, oh, it's just, it's, there's a lot of science that goes into it that I, uh, I don't, I don't think a lot of people really uh, understand, but for me, it's, it's fun to, you know, get into that whole aspect where, uh, you know, it's not only just like, yeah, I'm going to make this. It's like, okay, I want to like dial this in. And then it's like, you can replicate it and fine tune it. And so that's what's kind of, kind of fun. You talked about purpose earlier. And I'm curious what you think, how would you define purpose? Man, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's kind of an open ended question and i don't think i don't know for me it's like how do you define that i don't know it kind of depends on the people in your life what you care about maybe what you think the end game is but yeah i day to day it's still like what's my purpose i don't know i i ask myself that every day and i don't have a good answer but i'm constantly searching for I don't know. I think in this life, it's probably impossible to truly define what our purpose is. But what I do know is, you know, I want, I want to make people happy. I want those around me to like enjoy the, the ride. World. So I guess, yeah, that's, that's my purpose is like, trying to be a decent person and, you know, those close to me enjoying the ride. That's beautiful. It can be tough too, when it seems society emphasizes all things that have nothing to do with anything you just talked about, right? It's about power. It's about money. It's about sex. It's about fame. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously those are all things factors right it's like you can't live in this day and age without considering all of those and those are all like very very like heavily contributions in in your day-to-day but i think it's just trying to find that balance i guess where it's like what really matters to you right yeah it's hard to find that balance i think we all struggle to live truly altruistic right yeah that's a yeah, it's a perfect word, altruistic. It's like, you know, you, you want to do something good, but then like kind of in the back of your mind, you're like, well, I kind of expect to get something out of it, but that's obviously not how it should be. But um, dude, everything is like give and take and it's, you know, risk versus reward. And uh, yeah, it's it's really tough trying to find that balance. And it, it, it's easy to just kind of, put the blinders on, you know, and just go through the, the day to day without really thinking about it. But yeah. So for me personally, it's like wake up every day, try and be appreciative for what I have. And some days suck. Some days are great, but it's like, okay, how can I make this day better? Not only for me, but like for, well, especially for Katie, but, or the next person or anyone else, you know, have you noticed any commonalities that commonalities in the days you feel better relative to the days you feel worse? 
Yeah, absolutely. So for me personally, if I, I guess the like day prior, if I eat like a good meal and, and buy a good meal, you know, I love to fucking like indulge, but I mean, like if I eat a healthy meal, quote unquote, and then like, don't, you know, imbibe or whatever, and then get a good night of sleep that translates exponentially to the next day where it's like, yeah, I feel so much better and, you know, and, and exercise and everything. Yeah. So there's obvious data points there where it's like, yeah, this, this makes sense. This doesn't. And uh, no, it's, it's pretty easy for me to recognize all that. Uh, it's just on any given day, it's like, do, do I want to commit to doing that? I don't know. Sometimes it's easy to just say, fuck it, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, whatever. Have a shitty meal, drink a bunch, smoke. And <laughs> then ultimately, yeah, next day sucks. Yeah. For me, it's, it's really easy to pinpoint what does or doesn't make a better day. There's a quote I love that's if you do what is easy, your life will be hard. If you do what is hard, your life will be easy. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I love that. Exactly. And for me, it's like Monday through Friday. I'm really good about doing what I need to do, you know, eating well, like I don't drink during the week, whatever. But then I, uh, to a fault, Friday comes and then I just let it all go. So I maybe I need to learn a little bit more like consistency, uh, consistency through the week. That idea is very strong. Hmm. And you pointed to a lot of physical and physiological things, right? With regards to sleep and diet and alcohol and smoking. But I'm curious yeah. if you notice anything more mentally or around the way you think the days you're feeling good relative to the days you're feeling bad. Okay. Yeah. So I'm trying to be a little more like introspective and lately I've been getting into, I wouldn't say meditation, but trying to do like breathing exercises at night when I go to bed growing up, I always went to sleep with a TV in front of me, basically. Like I always fell asleep to a show or something. And so in recent years, I've gotten away from that and it was kind of a struggle like laying down in bed without some kind of like, I don't know, more like active white noise or whatever. And so working on just, yeah, like breathing techniques and meditation and stuff, that's helped me a lot. That's great. Yeah. I wonder if the TV as a child serve to distract your mind as you're falling asleep or do you, do you know, like what, what do you think it was? Or did you just love cartoons? Like, <laughs> Oh, obviously I do, but no, dude, it was a huge what distraction. Because, and even now, you know, it's like you lay down, close your eyes and try and wind down, dude. It's, it's like your mind just races. Right. And you're thinking about a million things. And so, yeah, that was an easy distraction. And so, yeah, that was kind of my point is like really focusing on like settling your mind, your thoughts, just bringing it all down a notch versus 
oh, I'm going to have some like bullshit Netflix show in the background. Well, that naturally leads me into consciousness. And I know that you may have mixed feelings about consciousness in general. I think you once told me that you felt consciousness was, um, was a curse on humanity, something to that extent. So I'd love to <laughs> yeah, yeah. get your thoughts on that. Yeah, dude, I think it's as great as it is. It's, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it's more of a curse than a blessing, just in the sense that it's like, for me, I, I overthink all the time. And sometimes it's hard to like flip that switch and stop like thinking about just being and like existing. But it's also, I mean, that's what makes us human, right? That's uh, for me, like I said, it's a bless and a cursing, but for me, I tend to kind of get towards the ladder and uh, overthink it. And then I get down the, the rabbit hole and get like philosophical. I'm like, well, what's the point of all this? What's the meaning? You know, and, and it, it's easy to get kind of caught up in that feeling sometimes. So I wonder is the problem that we're not exploring those topics further as a society, that it's not that you're getting caught up in the rabbit hole, but rather that we just need a more open dialogue and a place to discuss these topics because they are important. You mentioned Kate. Who is Katie? Katie is my wife, uh, the love of my life, my best friend since day one. Um, met her in high school and you know, we connected and then years down the road, we grew into a deeper relationship and, you know, we've been married for three years now. And I, I, I think it's awesome. I wouldn't change it for the world. Like I said, she's my best friend. She's my better half. She keeps me fucking stable. <laughs> uh, you guys always joke like, Oh, if it weren't for Katie, you know, you'd be dead in a ditch. <laughs> In some sense, I wouldn't wouldn't argue that she definitely uh, definitely keeps me on the right path. What do you love about her? She's my absolute best friend. I can just be myself with her. She, you know, she knows me better than myself, and uh, it's just waking up next to her every day and just having someone that, like, you know they have your back and you know that they have all your, your best intentions in line is like a really comforting feeling. She's uh she's my best friend. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I feel very, very lucky. And I hope she would, you know, reciprocate that feeling. And I know she does. Um, yeah. We just, we mesh well. It's easy. You know, it's, there's, it's, there's no, like, I, I don't want to say effort because any relationship you have to put effort into and you have to try, but it, it's really easy with her and the right. That's awesome. Do you find it as easy to love yourself as it is to love her? No, absolutely not. I'm pretty hard on myself in the sense that, you know, I, I just want to be better and I know I can. And a lot of times I'm, I'm not trying as hard as I should be. 
in in certain facets of my life. But uh, but yeah, no, dude, I love Katie, you know, more than anything. So and that's easy. Yeah, and I think that's a very common, if not universal, human um, tendency, right? Is to be able to love another and to forgive their their faults than it is to love yourself and to forgive your own faults. And I, I wonder if you have any thoughts as to why that could be. Yeah. So, you know, I've heard the quote, you can't truly love someone until you love yourself, which I definitely think in a certain sense is true. You know, it, it dude, if you're not happy with yourself, it's going to be really hard to like, translate that to someone else even if it's the best person in the world like it has to start with you and i don't mean to be like thinking it's all egocentric and this and that but like it it does start kind of with your core where it's like you have to make good with you before you can then like project that love on someone else so yeah in some sense it is true i'm sure there are probably plenty of people that hate themselves (laughs) that like would die for someone else or love them to death. But uh, but yeah, I I think if you truly, truly like love someone that does start with loving yourself too. Yeah. It's interesting. I'd always had this aversion to the term soulmate, right. In the sense that didn't really feel right that there's one other person in Uh the world. It felt like it just put all this pressure. It's this kind of Disney fairy tale kind of thing. Where for me, I think at the end of the day, what I've come to realize is that aversion comes from at the end of the day, if you if you put all of your self-worth and love in another person, then that's just a form of not finding your own identity in a way. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. 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 But then Ram Dass had this concept that I love called soul friend. Right. Mm -hmm. Where it's like. We don't need to have that sense of attachment that we have in this Western world, in this society, you know, based on this foundation of marriage till death do you part. But also that as a soul friend, like there's not just one, but it's someone that you still feel that you can connect with, that you can be completely yourself with. As you were talking about with one of the things that you love, Katie, is you feel like you can just be who you truly are and not have to put up any walls like we I feel like are forced to do all the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think people's like their identities are farcical, you know, it's like you're basically creating an idea that you think other people want you to be. And, you know, speaking to like soulmates or whatever. Yeah, no, dude, there's no, I don't really believe that there's any one right person or only one, I should say, that's going to be the make or break of your life. But uh, my uh, my heart has only grown bigger the older I get, where I'm like, I, I would consider you, I don't, I don't know what the term is, but like, I don't know, soul person. Like, yeah, soulmate is kind of stuck on like, oh, this is one, only one person. Yeah. But yeah, it's way bigger than that. I, I just think you connect with so many different people on so many different levels. And, uh, that's, that's the beauty of life, man. And I totally consider you my soul friend too. Dude. Absolutely. 
like I said, you, uh, relationships, you know, ebb and flow as, as you grow and you realize like who you connect with and who you don't. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not like you should feel bad about like growing apart from someone or whatever, but, uh, you do realize like you, you grow closer to this person or that and soulmates, whatever you want to call them, soul friends. Like, I, I mean, we're all connected. It's all, all a growing experience and you kind of figure it out as it goes. Next question for you. Who is Callie? Callie is dude. She's the sweetest soul I've ever fucking met. I know on the outside, on the exterior, people think, Oh, she's, she's a little skittish. She's abrasive, whatever. But dude, she is. And, and, and let me just like, I guess, preface this with, I truly believe dogs, most dogs are like, they're better than people, dude. We've got people in our family that uh, they think the way we treat Callie, they're like, well, it's just a dog, right? And I'm like, what do you mean just a dog? You're just a person. And what do you mean just a person, just a dog? It's like, they have the same fucking soul that you do, right? And anyway, going back to Callie, dude, she's the sweetest kindest soul i've ever fucking met and dude she's our like keeper you know she uh all she does is like want to take care of us be the guardian to the the door in a fault because that's just what she knows right she thinks like that's her job i guess but yeah callie's dude our absolute best friend we're so lucky to have brought her into our lives and yeah, she's amazing, man. She's she's the best. I mean, it just makes me smile just talking about her, dude. Like, she is the absolute best soul I've ever met. And uh, like, people kind of <laughs> think, like, Katie and I are crazy sometimes. The way we talk about her, the way we treat her. She's up in our bed, whatever, on the couch. and uh, But I'm like, dude, she's she's another being, just like we are. It's like, you're no, why are you any better than her? It's like, it's just a dog, right? Like, what does that mean? Just a dog. What? And, and this kind of ties into like consciousness and everything. It's like, do we think because we've like evolved a little bit more beyond the other like 99% that we're special? I don't know. I'm not sure. But what I do know is she, she's just as special as, as we are. A lot of questions popped up as you were going through that. So thank you for it. You mentioned the word soul a number of times. Yeah. I'd be curious to get your definition of soul. Yeah. So soul to me is like, it's more than just being like blank organism, right? Like soul means there's, there's some life behind those eyes and I don't think soul stops with humans. It goes so much further like Callie obviously has that dude and so many animals across any kind of definition it's there yeah no it's hard to like put into words but it's like you can see like person like there's a personality there's something there there's something behind the eyes you know it's more than just a blank slate you know you're not looking at like an amoeba and there's intention behind it I think too sometimes good sometimes bad but 
yeah i i think consciousness and and the soul it goes so much deeper than than just homo sapien i would go in front of a jury to say that cow has a fucking soul yeah she does just as much as she's just a dog just as much as you're just a person absolutely so you know how they talk about dogs having greater sense of intuition and being attuned to the environment like how they know when hurricanes are going to happen and not even just dogs but just animals in general and i'm curious if you've ever noticed Callie exhibit any of these characteristics that would lead you to believe they have greater sense of intuition than we do. Dude, I would say like emotionally, they're very, very in tune. And like Callie knows, like, dude, if Katie's upset or if I'm upset, like she knows and she can just sense that. I mean, she can, I don't know if she like it's just kind of feels it in the air or whatever, but she'll, you know, come up to you and like put her paw on you. You know, people talk about like therapy dogs and this and that. And I, I think there's something really to be, to be said about that from like an emotional standpoint. Callie definitely knows what's going on. Like, dude, if, if Katie and I aren't getting along or like whatever, Cal's like very in tune. She's right there and she's present. She, yeah, dude, she knows good or bad. She's right, right there, which is really cool. Totally. And we've talked before about studies that have been done around dogs who know when their owners are coming home. Dr. Rupert Sheldrake uh, wrote a book about that, and it's super wild about how they can know uh, based on random studies. Like that, what they would do is they would tap a person, go to a grocery store, go out for the day. And then at a totally random time, the researchers would call that person. The dogs, are, well, the, 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 Recipient of the call didn't know when they were getting the call, um, but whenever they got the call, dogs would go and wait at the door for their owners to come home after they got that call. So it's yeah, pretty powerful. And uh, when you think about the implications of that, it gets to be pretty yeah. So I guess I I didn't really know about the like randomness of it. I know dogs basically they use their nose noses as um, clocks or like a metric of time so like if you're on a schedule right it's like okay i'm gonna leave the house at 7 a.m in a sense like your dog smells that you're leaving and you've left some kind of like particles right that your dog can sense and those particles like dissipate over time so i mean let's just say like ppm like parts per million so your dog will sense okay this you left the house with 600 ppms and it's slowly gone to 100 and if you have a schedule they know that like okay it's gone from 600 to 100 and then it gets you know back up to the other sense or the other you know fulfillment and their nose so you're like saying they like can time it out by by if your scent is still in the air yeah 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 and that's pretty basic, right? But I didn't know there was anything about like the randomness because that doesn't account for any randomness. So yeah, no, that's kind of news to me. I but yeah, they can just sense that you're in the proximity or, or what are you saying? Well, I think what his, what Dr. Sheldrick's theory is, is that there's this concept of morphogenic fields 
and that through consciousness, we're all interrelated and that sure. the closer you are in consciousness and, and attuned into that morphogenetic field, which I think animals naturally are, that there's just senses and perceptions that we don't necessarily right. comprehend yeah. as well as they do. Right. It's, it's the whole kind of same idea of how bats can do echolocation and whales have sonar, right? Like bees Consents pollen. Yeah, dude, everyone sees the world in a different, yeah, uh, different lens, right? And dogs, obviously, yeah, see it way differently. And I think, kind of, to what you're speaking, and, and smell aside, because smell is like solely present, right? Like it's like if you're there, you are. If you aren't, but um, there's been a lot of examples where like you're getting close to coming home, and the dog can just like sense that. And I think they've captured mm-hmm. that in plenty of like video studies and everything mm-hmm. and you know that's through like closed doors and and walls and everything so yeah there's some kind of sense like you're saying it's like maybe it's more like a uh cognizant kind of thing you know yeah i don't know it's it's wild it is wild and it, the conversation leads me to think about some of the experiences i've had on psychedelics where maybe it's at first, you just think you're like hallucinating or something weird's happening. But then I come to think that maybe there's just other perceptions that we have capable within us that we aren't necessarily attuned to in our, I'll say, default mode of consciousness. But in altered states, you can access them. Oh, and dude, hundred percent. You know, it's to me, it's as easy as like thinking about it and just say, say a visual sense, like. We see we see things in a certain wavelength, right? We see light in a certain way, but there's plenty of other like organisms that can see things in like in in thermal or in like whatever the the wavelength is. But it's just you know different from what we personally see. It's our problem as people as humans is we get stuck in the idea of. We see this one way and it's kind of hard to extrapolate and understand that the world exists in every other wavelength that we can't personally see or perceive or, you know, whatever, if it's sound or sight or touch, there's so much more to the the world that exists around us than Mm -hmm. our perceptions, right? We're dialed into a certain certain wavelength and to think about seeing the world in a different wavelength that we're not dialed into is really hard. I think for a lot of people to like grasp or like understand that. Yeah. The world's still there. Yeah. In a different lens. Yeah. In a different lens. And I I love that you brought up the uh, concept of the color that we can see. I brought up this chart that's got the whole spectrum of wavelengths. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it looks like basically like 1% of this entire chart is our visible light spectrum going from red to violet, which is like 400 nanometers to 700 nanometers. Probably, like I said, takes up 1% of the chart. Then to the left, you've got ultraviolet, x-rays, right. gamma, cosmic. Yeah, that's right, what I was infrared. trying to get into. I, just, I didn't know the like metrics of it, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, to your point, it's just, there's so much going on around us that just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah, it's just one interpretation, right? And 
in general, we're pretty fucking naive and ignorant to the fact that we like to base our entire understanding in that specific lens that as humans that we see. But dude, obviously, it's so, so much deeper. than that. So much deeper than that. It's arrogant, frankly, to think that it is. It is. You're, you're right. It is arrogant. That's a probably a better word. <laughs> yeah, because it's easy to like dismiss something that isn't based in like science or facts or whatever. It's like, well, dude, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And, you know, obviously science, you know, modern day science is like going in that direction with like string theory and this and that, where it's like it, it exists in one reality if you're looking at it, right? But it also is existing in every other reality if you're not. So yeah, I just, I think people need to be a little more like open-minded about what's going on, going on around them. We even think about the structure of the universe, right? Before Galileo was like, Hey guys, it's not us. We're actually spinning around the sun, not the other way around. The earth is not the center of the universe. It's not right. Right. Yeah. But, but think about if you didn't, know that intellectually growing up as a child it wouldn't make sense to you just based on your perception yeah no it's like dude naturally you're inclined to put everything based off of your own experience so it's it's always going to be an ego something right like it's all based off of your own experience but i do think naturally i don't know the curiosity is there i don't know i think if if you're just somewhat of a like conscious being, like you understand that there's more to it than just you. That's just a very like selfish standpoint. Yep. Which again gets back to your perception, right? Because you live all of your daily life and experience as this entity, as this being that. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. It's all based out of your own mind. Your own. It's all filtered through your eyes. Dude, and I, I've also kind of wondered, like, we're so heavily, like, our, like, reality is so heavily based off of, like, sight, right? What if you, like, took sight away? Like, how would you perceive the world if you were blind? And I've always been curious about that. And I don't think I've ever met a blind person, but, like, reading Braille and everything, and I'm like, I wonder what their perception of life is compared to, uh, like, our, it's just, just kind of interesting. Super interesting. And obviously, that's like a very small like fraction of, of all of it. But hypothetically, say you you were born in, into this world and you were deaf and blind. Where do you even put your base of reality? Because our reality is what we see, what we hear. You know, that's like pretty standard. Everyone's like on the same page. But take that away. And then what do you have? So we talked a minute there about just hubris of human society and our understanding of the world. And that leads me to one of our other favorite topics, archaeology. Yeah, love it. And so we've talked a lot about how we think we know so much about humans' history, right, in the past and what species lived here before. But again, that seems arrogant, and I would love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I kind of have two two viewpoints it's like from an archaeological standpoint there's that evidence that's like indisputable where you're like okay this happened like you can dig up the dirt and find the past right in a literal sense but personally the the 
the world, solar system, the universe is so much older than we understand. And I, I don't think it's that crazy to think that time has recycled itself over and over again. Yeah, so we have our understanding with our calendar, right? But yeah, I think our understanding of, of the calendar, it's like we're giving it like a baseline that maybe isn't true. Our baseline is not necessarily right. When it even gets back to the wavelength discussion, right? Of when you look at a time scale of the Big Bang to today and how such a tiny piece of our existence has been a world where humans have lived on the earth. Right. And, and even you think like the Big Bang, I think it's like 14 billion years ago, the Earth was like 4.6 billion years ago. So even relative to the Earth being right. a planet. Yeah, but right. We're just making up a time scale. At right, the end of the right. day, we've just like decided, we've all agreed on some kind of scale. And I'm not like disputing science or anything, but I think. Right. People do get a little caught up in the idea of everyone thinks that like the science they know right now is scripture. But Mm -hmm. dude, how I mean, how many times? Well, over and over again through history, what you used to know is the flat earth is now like not. It's just Mm -hmm. what you know and in your given context and your given time is like you try and make the most sense of it. But you're going to like realize more and more about the you know physical world that mm-hmm. maybe wasn't law we are naive to think that our understanding of time is solid and that's what it is who's to say there weren't multiple civilizations that existed before us with the same technology that just got recycled over and over again? and you know talking about archaeology yeah you can kind of like date things and, you know, find uh, like hard evidence, but that only goes so deep. We're really naive and we have a really shallow understanding of what our existence and our existence on earth and has mm-hmm. meant. Do you know that movie Fantasia, that old Disney movie? Yeah. That movie, I was rewatching it the other night and it's from like 1940. Yeah. Um, and one of the like, it's it's a whole bunch of like different cartoon sketches, but it's all set to music. And there's like an orchestra playing in it. And each clip before it, the uh, symphony conductor introduces the clip that's coming up. And they did one that was on the dinosaurs. Like it was a story of the dinosaurs and how they went extinct. And that was like what they're portraying. And they didn't talk about an asteroid at all. They said it was all climate related and like volcanoes overflowing but they had no conception that a comet was the initial impact right and that on the scale even of just modern industrial society that that was like 80 years ago right like that's not that long no that's such a major event and the point is like we know so little about yeah that's all i was getting at too you know it's uh yeah it's it's really easy to sit back and pick up your history book and be like yep this is the way it was yeah <laughs> you know but in reality it's like who fucking knows right no one no one actually knows this is all passed down and i don't think it's that crazy to think that maybe history was lost along the way many Ooh. times Well, even we talked about Galileo earlier. He figured out the structure of the universe by finding some old 
ancient Egyptian text or, or some other ancient civilization from like 2000 years before his time. And think about all the people that lived in between that, that had lost that knowledge. Yeah. Our understanding of civil civilization goes like way, way, way deeper than what's written in the history books. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to be like a conspiracy theorist or anything. I just, no. I, I just don't, I, I think we're naive to think that we have it all figured out. Yeah. I don't think it makes you a conspiracy theorist at all. And I think that part of the problem is conventional science and archaeology is so steeped in this existing structure of how they've explained it and how it's written in right. the text today that anyone who dares to go outside those boundaries is criticized and ostracized as a lunatic. Right. And give a couple hundred years, we'll look back and we would say that the same thing. We're like, well, look at, or, or, you know, people in that time would be like, look at these idiots. Yeah. They had no idea. Well, hopefully that they gain a better understanding. So you and I have both had the shared experience of living significant parts of our lives in both Cincinnati and Colorado. Mm. Um, and I would just love to get your thoughts on what both of those places mean to you and how they've shaped who you are as a person. Yeah. So dude, for me, Colorado was my chance to really experience something new. And that just happened to be Colorado. It was our senior year of high school. My brother and his ex-girlfriend came back and they had some like ride share set up and it did not end up, you know, working out. So I was like, sweet, I'll drive you guys back out to Colorado. No problem. And I had never really like gotten out of that shell, that like sense of home. And so drove them out and I experienced Boulder and it was such like an eye opening thing for me. It was like, all right, there's more to the world than just Wyoming and Cincinnati. And so, so yeah, for me, Colorado was just like me getting out of that, that shell of, of Wyoming everything and it was huge dude that opened up my eyes to to the rest of the world and it really made me want to travel and experience everything because i'm like the entire world's out there for you to see like why would you want to just stay in one place your entire life like why wouldn't you want to you know experience everything you can and so yeah colorado for me was was just an eye-opening experience in the sense that it got me out of my shell that i knew growing up awesome and what about Cincinnati? You know, on the flip side, I guess I would say is like Cincinnati's home. Like, and it feels good to be here. Obviously, we moved back and we want to plant some roots. And it does feel good to uh, to be here and to be home. And I guess that's comforting in some sense, just knowing that you've got like a home base. And that makes it even better, knowing that you've got like, I, I really love Cincinnati at this point. You know, when I first moved away, the city itself was still like, uh, not like very like highly like regarded, whatever. But I think it's grown so much in the past decade that now I am like proud to say like, yeah, I'm from Cincinnati and I I think it is a really cool city. But yeah, at the same time, it's like this being my home base, it just I want to travel more and experience more. Mm -hmm. when we talked earlier several times about the importance of community and relationships and 
I think home has such a strong sense of that. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Well, Mikey, this has been awesome. One last question from my end before we uh, wrap things up here. What do you think about coincidence? Yeah, man. I feel like you could almost ask the same question about what do you think about luck? Coincidence and luck are both kind of a byproduct of putting yourself in the right situation for what you want. Coincidence can go positive or negatively, but more so it's like building your own path. And I think coincidence and luck are uh, just both byproducts of something that you're doing either right or wrong. I mean, it goes both ways. I don't know. What what do you think of coincidence? Yeah, I think that was beautifully put. If I could paraphrase what you were saying is it's almost like we're the creators of our reality of our circumstances. If we go out into the world with good intentions, positive intentions and clear goals in sight, then you achieve those, right? And if you go yeah. out with malicious or selfish intent and mm-hmm. or uncertainty in the direction that you even want to go with your life, right? Because it's the old saying, if we keep going this way, we're going to get there, right? right. And if you're, you're moving yeah. faster in, a, in the wrong direction, you're just doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, so let me ask you, I mean, do you believe in like fate versus like, some kind of choice like do yeah. you think like yeah. everything's pre predetermined predetermined yeah do you think that like is is your life already set out or how much of free will <laughs> do you believe in yeah and i don't think it's necessarily black or white because in, in, in like a bigger sense yeah, maybe you're ultimately like destined to have one ending, but is the day-to-day is that just like in inconsequential? It's a tough question. And I go back and forth on both of them. Like I I definitely believed in free choice just because that's what felt right to me instinctually. And then after what I'll call my spiritual awakening, I've definitely felt that there's, there is free will in everything. And there is also synchronicity or grace in everything. Right. Once I've started kind of looking out for those little coincidences around, am I going down the right path? You start to notice them more and more, but they also get to be super confusing too. Cause I think part of it is like, there are multiple paths and it's not right to say that one is right or wrong per se. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's hypothetically an infinite amount of paths, but I mean, I guess that's that's life, that's consciousness. Like, do you think there is, are are you going down one singular path that you're going to go down and it's out of your control? And as much as like you think this, you know, day in and day out decision is up to you, does it really make any difference? Yeah. Well, Mikey, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we got to do this again sometime. I had such a blast. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for having me. 
talking about uh talking about life talking about life i love it buddy i love you too man Thank you for listening, and I hope you all enjoyed the show. To wrap things up before we end tonight, I wanted to clarify a few of the details around the story I was trying to tell earlier about Galileo and and why I think it's still important today. So this started in 1543. Copernicus, not Galileo, challenged what was then known as the Earth-centric or the geocentric model and said that the Earth, in fact, revolved around the Sun, the heliocentric model. Now, Copernicus actually waited about 10 years to publish his manuscript in 1543 because he said he did not want to risk the scorn, quote, to which he would expose himself on account of the novelty and incomprehensibility of his theses. What's interesting is that Copernicus came up with the ideas for this heliocentric model from ancient Greek disciples of Pythagoras, whose theories were written about 2,000 years before he was born. Now, unfortunately, the church leaders at the time considered Copernicus's ideas blasphemy, clinging to their own beliefs. And then 90 years later, they forced Galileo at the point of the sword to renounce his support of Copernican theory, and Galileo was forced to spend the rest of his life on house arrest. Yet, ironically, those exact same church leaders adopted Copernicus's mathematical formulas to help reconcile discrepancies in the religious calendar. Anyway, the reason I think the story is important still today are twofold. Number one, it's clear that ancient wisdom can get lost for generations, but it's also great that it can return overnight. And thinking about the modern era, of course it's fantastic, all the innovation that's being done today in Silicon Valley across crypto, blockchain, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, etc., etc. But I also wonder, are we so naive as to think that there's nothing left to learn from the past? You know, what ancient technologies and wisdom could there be hiding in plain sight, not needing to be developed, only rediscovered? And number two, it's important to note that civilizations develop into power structures. In turn, hierarchical organizations develop to enforce these power structures. These organizations make meaningful decisions of control for their civilians, including the division of economic resources, the promise of civil liberties, the guarantee or lack thereof of safety, and the definition of acceptable ideas through which consciousness can be explored. People with egos are then put in charge of these organizations, and the people in charge are often disincentivized from their citizens from knowing the truth, or this could threaten their control. It's the coldest hand that run down this land Where the ocean lands It's the tallest sound The damn smallest crowd But their hearts break loud Far from ever feeling lost with me I'll push you back towards the land and sea 
Everywhere you go, I'll be. 